I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and this is the Downtown Riders Jam video podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max the Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker at the start of fall, which is that little shit's favorite time of year. Even though the cancer is spreading and he's slowing down and slowly getting worse, maybe a little faster getting worse than I want, uh, it's 70 degrees and he can't contain himself. We go out and, he, you know, he used to be able to do 10 miles. Uh, now, I mean, now he does one and he, he's wiped out, but he wants to go out every day. So the bunker is getting a little ape shit crazy right now. All of that said, thank you for stopping by. And we're really super happy that you did because today on the program is Spencer Flurry. Um, whose book, How I'm Spending My Afterlife, comes out in September. Uh, and that is, I mean, I wanted to interview him just because of the title of the book, which is fantastic. Um, so he's worked as a sailor, a copywriter, an economics professor, and a record store clerk. Uh, so also, like, what the fuck is that, right? Also had to have him on the show. Uh, he's from Detroit, spent most of his life in Florida. Uh, now he lives in San Francisco. And you're going to hear a whole lot about music in San Francisco Uh because that is, we spent a good deal of time on that. And like I said, that novel, How I'm Spending My Afterlife, is out in September. So before we get to our interview with him, couple bits of business. Uh, as you know, the video podcast comes out Mondays and Fridays-ish. The jam proper comes out every Wednesday. We need some help. Need you to tell your friends about us. Tweet about it. Put it on Facebook. If you like an episode, like spread the word for us. Second thing you can do, is leave us a review. And this is the easiest homework in the world. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, just click on a button and leave us a review there, a star, 
or something written. Written's better, but we'll take the star. Or head over to Facebook, The Writer's Jam, and leave us a review there. All of those things help us out. If you go to the website, you can leave us a testimonial through the contact page, and you can check out book reviews. You can click on the bookshop link and buy books. You can sign up for our newsletter so you get recommendations and all this stuff that comes to you once a month. It's a pretty good deal because none of that costs nothing. You can also support the entire Solid Listen Podcast Network by clicking on a Patreon button. A couple bucks a month, you get bonus content from everybody on the network. Now, just real quick, uh, because this was one of those like um, conversations that takes me back. Like there's some nostalgia there. I did not love living in San Francisco. Um, I've talked about it on the show many times. Um, my accent was an issue there. There really wasn't a day that didn't go by that somebody didn't call that out. Uh, I had some other things that you would not expect to have happened there happen. Uh, it was, I wasn't making a lot of money. It was expensive, not as expensive as it is today, but as a poor kid, you know, so it was still expensive, but there were parts of the city that I really loved. And those parts are now largely gone. And so Spencer and I were having this discussion, sort of this nostalgic discussion about the old mission and lower hate and some of the places where there was some cool shit and that vibe back then. I did love that. The Lucky 13, and I love that bar. So you're going to hear a little bit of like old man nostalgia as we also sort of weave through how he's made it as a writer out in San Francisco, which is um, through copywriting and working in the tech industry and things like that. We're sort of balancing this other stuff. So it is, you know, uh, many years ago, maybe like when my friend Janelle Brown was just starting, she wrote a piece for the LA Times about the how much how difficult it was becoming to live in the creative class in California because you had to have these other jobs and it was really this sort of transformative part I want to say this was around 2009 or 10 or 11 that she wrote it and so as I talk to people that live out there and hearing that I'm like oh my god it's so different than even when I was doing stuff in the 90s where you could literally like make a living writing and now you have to do all these other stuff. So that part of the conversation is also sort of nostalgic and sad for me, but also encouraging because people are still doing it. Like writers are going to write. I'd like for us to get paid to do it, but you know, life finds a way. So thanks for stopping by the bunker today to listen to us chat about San Francisco and writing and, you know, some of the weird path that Spencer took to do this. Uh, I hope your day is going well and that you're taking care of each other. And I hope that you enjoy fall as much as Max the dog enjoys fall. Because if you do, you're living a pretty good life. And I hope you'll sit back for the next 30 minutes or so and enjoy my conversation with Spencer Flurry. Uh, we're right next to Golden Gate Park, which I know oh. is um, a pretty broad area because it's such a big park. Um, we're, yeah, we're pretty close to the uh, Haight-Ashbury district. Okay. I'm just a couple blocks away from uh, Amoeba Music, which is just oh, yeah. a place I've I've spent a lot of time over the years. Yeah, I uh, my writing partner way back in the day when I was at Wired and he was at CNET, he lived in the Lower Hate, and so we wrote a large part of our book at the coffee shops in the Lower Hate. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They still still got a bunch. Probably not the same ones, but they probably still got not. A bunch. <laughs> there was one. It was like the International Cafe. It was like the best. It was run by these. Um, they were Caribbean folks. And like, it was just, you know, you walked in, it was like an empty place. There were tables. They made the best food in the world and the coffee was amazing. But like, if you walked in, you're like, is this a store? 
<laughs> so I'm guessing that place is long gone. It doesn't sound familiar, but I can't say that I know every available spot in San Francisco. I've been here for seven years and I'm still learning about this city almost every day. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty great. Well, I mean, it, you know, from when I got there in 98, like it doesn't look anything like I know the lucky 13 is still there because no, it's not. Oh, well, I knew it closed, but I thought it reopened. Oh, I hope it did. No, I that's think one it of my reopened. favorite spots. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out soon. You sh I used to hold music parties there when I was at wired. Cause they had the best fucking jukebox in the whole, in the whole oh, yeah. city. Oh yeah. It was amazing. I had, cause I covered music for wired. And so we'd have these, like, there's this guy named John Shuck. I'll never forget. He worked at sub pop during the thing, but like, he was like dad at sub pop. Like he wasn't like, you know, he was like the number four guy or whatever. And he'd walk over to that jukebox and he'd put shit in that you'd never hear. You never heard before. Like nice. some deep cut track on something. And everybody would just be like, the fuck is this? Like, how do we not know what this song is? It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there, there are a few places with actual jukeboxes left in the city, but not many. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, in the mission district is totally like, I don't even recognize that anymore. Oh yeah, no, I, that's what I've heard. That's it's unrecognizable from uh, 15, 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I talk about this with people on the show all the time. Like, if you live in a city, it's sort of the natural progression of things. Is yeah. that you know, whatever? If it's cool, I lived in Austin, right, 20 years ago. Like, if it's cool, people are going to show up. Oh yeah, there's there's no city that's you know preserved in amber. It just doesn't work that way. There are a lot, of, but there are a lot of people here who've been here a while, and what they what they apparently want is for the city to never change from the moment they arrived. Yeah. This is the perfect. This is peak San Francisco. It should never change in yeah. any way that I ever, would ever notice. But you know, it it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way at all. No, and it's also a tr that is one of the most transient places that I've ever lived, and that you sort of yeah. come there to like either start your career or like kickstart your career. But then when you're like want a house and a family and stuff, it's like, well, I'm going to take this wealth of experience and this network that I have and go somewhere else. Like right, that, right. that feels like part of the DNA of that city. Yeah. There's a lot of that here. Um, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I can afford, I can afford to live here because I am able to work in the tech industry. Yeah. I don't really have, I don't really have any, passion for for that industry but it's it, it pays enough to pay the rent on an apartment here so that's that's where that's where i'm at and yeah there are a lot of people uh, who just you know who come through the come through these companies and they're here a few years and then they're off to new york or to austin or yeah. some other some other uh, seattle tech hub seattle yeah. yeah but there are other people uh, i know that there are a lot of other people that i happen to hang out with who are more on the other side of that, who are here because of the city itself. And, yeah. you know, I, I say, oh, yeah, these are the people I just happen to hang out with. But I'm sure it's that shared outlook that has uh, kind of enabled our friendships anyway. So, yeah. And like a lot of my old wired for like Steve Silberman was there, you know, and he's like ensconced in the literary and music, like the old school Crosby, Stills and Nash, Grateful Dead, like all that stuff like that. Is, I mean, San Francisco is his place. And like that yeah. is you know, just like the, the literary history of that place. If you get connected into that, oh, yeah. you know, with city lights and all that stuff is just, it's a draw. It's a draw that's different than New York. 
Yeah, I can see that. I can see. I haven't spent much time in New York, so I'm not super familiar with it. But I can, I can see that from my outsider's perspective. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I mean, the two like New York thinks it's the publishing capital of the universe, and so when I, you know, when I worked in San Francisco, it was always like, well, you're out on the like you're on the West Coast. Like, are you really doing? Are you really doing yeah. writing stuff? And we're like, there's this whole fucking weird vibe of things out here that's just different than the weird vibe of New York writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We definitely have that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what it is about that because other, you know, San Francisco is obviously smaller, but it is. Um, yeah, it's just a, the literary vibe. I don't know how much you've tapped into it out there, but it's a different. It's just a different weird. Like when the grotto was open, you know, I don't know if that's open anymore, but like, yeah, it's still open. I knew they were having some issues, too, once the pandemic hit, because so much of the grotto is like live classes, parties. Right. Like getting everybody together. And that's, I think, what's different than New York. New York is so big. It's like, yeah, these pockets exist. But like you show up in San Francisco, you hit city lights, you hit the grotto. You're going to find out what's going on pretty quick and you're going to meet the people that are oh, doing for that sure. stuff. Right. Oh, for sure. And there's yeah, the one thing I always think of the one event that I think is is, is uh, kind of essential to plugging into that now is the Writers with Drinks series that uh, Charlie Jane Anders hosts. I don't even know what that is. What is that? That's oh, amazing. Yeah. It is a I think it's a it, well, back in the before times, it was a monthly um, a monthly live event on a Saturday night. Um and yeah, there would be five or six writers just reading uh, from their work on stage. Usually, there's a theme. Um, they've all, you know they've almost all got books to uh, to sell at the merch table there. But it's usually yeah, it's usually Charlie Jane who makes who really makes the evening because she is. I mean, she's not only a great writer, but she is such an engaging personality and her yeah. stage presence you just can't look away i mean she she improvises i think she improvises this i don't i don't know for sure but she improvises these amazing introductions uh to each writer that 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 i i don't know where i don't know where they come from i, yeah. I can't imagine i can't imagine a spot that could in, in my mind that could generate these kinds of <laughs> off the cuff interest but no she's she's um yeah she's really great and she puts a lot of work into uh, making the the literary scene here in San Francisco run. So. Yeah, and I think Pop Up Magazine originated out there too. I don't. It was either there or New York, but like I don't know if you've been to that as well. But like, no, I haven't been there. It's a little bit like the Paper Machete in in Chicago. Only it's like it's basically like writers and storytellers who get on stage. You're not allowed to record it, and they do like an hour and a half or two hour news show only it's live. So it's all these things, all these <laughs> stories that people have put together and you buy tickets and like, it's an ephemeral, you do it and it's over and it's an experience. And it's this one of those that like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, you know, I know what happens in other places, but I just know that San Francisco scene as being like, I don't know, just, it wasn't ever competitive. Like it just never felt like it was me against you. It felt like it was us against all those other people. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. It does. It does not feel competitive at all. It, it does. It does feel somewhat insular somehow, yeah. um, yes. but not in a bad way, not in not in not in a way that we're, you know, uh, walling ourselves in here, but it's it's more more in, in the way that we do look inwards and we kind of, I don't know, look after our own, I suppose, would yeah. be a, a way to put that. But yeah. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So, you said, what do you do in the tech industry? Uh, I write documentation, so I'm writing all day long, and it's yeah. it's fine. It's 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 not an exciting job, um, but it's a there's job. There's money I can, in that, though. There, there's there's money in that. It's a job I can do yeah. relatively quickly, and I'm and you know I'm just I'm good at it after all the time doing it. So <laughs> may I as well. To, I tell people like when I wrote my book, it was back when Target still had a magazine. It was like sort of the dawn of the web. You know, like the web is like 2000. So you'd go into a store and to figure out like what video game, what shirt to buy, like they'd have that magazine. I got paid two dollars a word to write two video game reviews a month on that thing. <laughs> yeah. So the first day of the month, I'd write two thousand word reviews of things. And I was like, I've never put that on a resume. But I'm like, the real the real paying writing jobs are shit that writers don't talk about. <laughs> No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That those writing jobs are how I have fed myself for yeah most of most of my adult life. And it's weird, right? Because when you're young, you don't really think writing's a skill, and then you yeah. get out and you do it, and you're like, oh, none of these people can do any of this. <laughs> yeah, sadly, yes. Yeah, but I mean, it's but it's a skill and a craft. Like it's not like you just sat down and could do it. I mean, that's what I try to tell young writers and people. I'm like you got to value this stuff because yeah, not everything is the great American novel, but if you can make money putting words on a page, that gives you time to do what you love. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So no, how people, long have you been doing that? Oh, I, a long time. I got started. I got started doing tech writing um, probably about 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I've been I've been kind of moving back and forth between the documentation side and the uh, the more marketing copywriting side. Uh, just Money in that one too. Th there is, there is. It just depends <laughs> yeah. on uh, on how bored I get with whatever it is that I'm doing or have been doing for the last few years, and then I just do something else. This has just been kind of a a pattern in my life, and it's probably why I haven't been able to get any further ahead, yeah. quote unquote, than uh, than I have. But but you're, um, but you're as far ahead as you want to be. Uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah, like that's the thing. Like I always tell people, like if you wanted to be farther, you'd be like, "Well, I'm going to give up these other things." But if you don't, then you're where you're you're where you should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, I sometimes look around at uh, my company, and you know, 
everybody I'm working with directly is a lot younger than me. And sometimes that does put that kind of doubt in the back of my mind, like, should I have tried to go into management? Should I have been more of a careerist striver? And I just, I no. just don't have the energy, man. I just don't have it. Yeah. And like, at the end of the day, like when I became an editor at at MIT's Technology Review, I was, a, I was the, the editor of the website, head producer. I didn't fucking write a thing for three years. Like I was in <laughs> meetings and budget meetings. And like, yeah. I eventually let our two year, like I eventually quit after we built the thing. I'm like, I don't think I'll ever write another word if my whole day is spent managing this other stuff that has nothing to do with like, I loved it. It just wasn't. And I was good at it. Just that was going to keep me from doing all of this stuff that I love to do. Right. Exactly. Like that library, it would, that would just be empty shelves behind me. <laughs> like, be one of those like pundit people where you're like, you got uh, all these bookshelves and two plants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got rows of plants. And the only book on there is the one that they had ghost written under. <laughs> right. So what makes you decide to write the novel? Because uh, how I'm spending my afterlife, because these are not, this is not an endeavor that is taken lightly. No, absolutely not. Um, I've, that's the thing. I've always wanted to write fiction. And for the longest time, um, I was convinced that it was beyond me. I didn't feel like I had anything to say. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't, I, I, had, I had no reason for people to pay attention to the stories I wanted to tell. And I also wasn't very good at telling them. So of course there's, you know, there's that. I had to practice and practice and practice and get and, and get better at it. But I'd had the idea for this novel in my head for a long time, for probably about 10 years. Uh, and what kept me from moving forward was that I didn't know how it was supposed to end. And that's and a problem. This, yeah. Well, I mean, I thought that it was. And I used to I used to have a friend who would try to feed me these ideas for endings, and they were all like these, these these um, these law and order rip from the headline twist ending kind of things. So I'm like, no, I'm I'm not doing that, man. I'm just I'm not doing that. That doesn't it doesn't fit. So you know I um I eventually decided to just plunge ahead, and I I thought you know if if this is going to work, then over the course of that process the ending will reveal itself mm -hmm. to me. And that is, that is in fact what happened. I got to a point where it's like, okay, this can really only end one way and still be a credible story. Yeah. So that's how it's going to have to end. It's interesting, you know, I don't do fiction, I do nonfiction, but I've interviewed so many of your people and like, I've just heard enough that it's like, oh yeah, no, I had a whole character sketch. And I knew what they were gonna do and then fuck all, like right off the bat, they're like, nope, doing this thing. And like, yep. they're like, it's just tail of the dragon at that point. like they sort of once you get the world built once you get the character set and and you understand it then you're sort of recording the movie as it's happening yeah exactly which is a weird a weird thing to when you're trying to tell a young writer like how do you write a novel like <laughs> right that's a good <laughs> fucking question <laughs> yeah i mean and you know i i read a number of uh yeah. of books to try to help me figure out how to do this and some of them had good advice and some of them were less uh useful but yeah it just comes down to you know at, at one point you're either going to sit down and get started or you're not yeah. uh but that's that's literally what it takes and once you've once you have made that commitment to sit down and start, the rest of it does, uh, it, it, it may not get a lot easier, but it looks more manageable. 
yeah. going forward. So yeah, so there's that. It's really, it's also, you said 10 years because the other theme on his show is like, it, I, everybody says like their first book is like, oh yeah, that took, I mean, it takes your whole life, but like, really it's like, it's a 10 year process. Yeah. You know, like, as you're trying to figure it out and work it out. And then when you get done, you don't know how to write a book. You just know you can write a book because yeah, the- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. So it's like, that's when, you know, you're a writer when you're like, ah, oh, fuck, there's not a way through this. Like every new journey <laughs> is a new journey, mm-hmm. but I know I can get to the end of the journey. <laughs> yeah. There's, there is no formula at all. I mean, for, for how I'm spending my afterlife, I did have, I did have it kind of not yeah kind of plotted out almost to the chapter level in broad strokes and so i guess i was in a way writing to an outline but there was a lot of room for flexibility in that and then with the the novel i wrote after that which has has yet to find a home that was um that was a uh, i was making the mistake of thinking that uh i needed to have the beginning sewn up I needed that foundation and and only once I had that could I really move on to finish the book and um uh, the writer R.O. Kwan who wrote uh, The Incendiaries which is an amazing novel um I you know I I had uh, I had like a a class with her and she was saying oh yeah that's exactly how uh, I approached my novel and that's why it took me 10 years to write this novel um how much did you drink that night Uh, yeah, I, I, I had to I had to reassess um, how I was uh, how I was approaching it. But now yeah. I'm 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 writing another one, and I'm trying to bear that in mind. But it you know, on the other hand, I feel like I've got to have some of these things sort of sewn up at the beginning, or else yeah. I'll forget them yeah. and I'll miss them on the next pass, and there'll there'll just be these continuity errors. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's being being a writer is just it's it's just one long neurosis really it really is well and you know honestly whenever people ask me you know like what what, am i a writer what does it take i'm like first of all nobody can fucking answer that question but the second is (laughs) once you've started revising (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) anybody can get the junk first draft down is what do you do when you're like I'm not sure any of this makes sense. Like that's when the writing begins. <laughs> that is, that is indeed. That, that's the real work. But yeah, that's, that's the work I like. I like that part better anyway. The, the first, the first draft is it's painful. But me too. The, the revising is a lot easier for me. I really, I, it is too. And I don't know whether that just comes from like, I mean, we come, we're different places. Like, but like doing that tech stuff, like, right. You know, getting, trying to understand fucking quantum computing is just an impossibility for somebody that even is a quantum physicist. So you just get everything down and then sitting down with people to be like, okay, what is the meaning? Like that was literally my career. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, just put that shit down. And once it's down, I trust that I can go in there and extract what needs to be done. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Copywriting uh, for me was the same way. It starts with, starts with this, uh, you know, this, this brainstorm, um, of ideas that some are good, some are bad. You write this incredibly long copy and then you just have to find, yeah, you've got to find uh, what works about it. And yeah, yeah, writing fiction for me has been a similar process. And it's interesting, right? Like everybody, another theme on the show, everybody at some point when they decide to do this long form stuff, whatever the book is, needs to go back and learn. Some people go through an MFA, some people take classes, some people get a writing group, 
some people are professional writers and it's like, well, this is what I do throughout the day. So I know I can find answers to do this. And then, but there's some process that eventually happens to turn that dough into pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the mystery of it. It's, yeah. it, it, it can't be explained. It, uh, it can be replicated, but not intentionally, you know, yeah. that's all. <laughs> yeah. It's really sort of a nightmare. Um, yeah. And then, but you also know you're a writer when you're like, Oh, I'm gonna do this again. And oh, now right. I'm going to do this again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so the book is out this month. Yeah, it's out in September. It is out on Tuesday, September 7th wow. from Woodhall Press. That's pretty exciting. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, I, yeah, I've been, uh, I told myself a long time ago that uh, if and when I landed an actual publishing deal, I was going to go and get a tattoo because I don't have any. Um, so now I'm going to have to do it. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, not quite sure what it's, I'm not quite sure yet. I have a couple of ideas, but uh, I don't want to commit to anything, uh, you know, live on camera. I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah. And are you going to get to do anything? Like, are the bookstores open out there? Like, is it, I know we're sort of in yeah, Delta, but like, will you get to do something live? I mean, no, well, they're, the bookstores are open, uh, but they're not really doing live events. Um, they will, some are doing virtual events, but a lot of those have been booked well in advance. Yeah. So the calendars are pretty crowded. Um, I'd like to do a live event. I've done those before, um, but I don't know if it will be, I don't know if it'll be timely enough to coincide with, uh, you know, with, with the book's release, but uh, you know, maybe once things open up in San Francisco, I can talk one of the, uh, one of the stores into, into doing something. You I'm should hoping. also, this is my advice is yep. do, do something outside. Say, Hey, on a Saturday, I'm going to do a reading outside your bookshop and like you promote it and I'll promote it. And you don't have to do anything other than like, give me a space outside. That's a great idea. I hadn't thought of that at all. <laughs> I am here to help writers. My whole job as an editor is like, you know what? We can make this shit happen. Cause I've told everybody like that having a book in the pandemic is great. It also sucks. Yeah. And, and that live thing is so important to the cathartic end to a project, not oh to the, God, yeah. to the product, not to the art and the writing, but just like, ah, fuck, this thing is done. Mm -hmm. Like it's now done. So I'm guessing that they would be more than willing to let you do something outside with them. Well, I'm absolutely going to pitch that idea to a few places. I got, got a couple in mind now for this. And then you, you Instagram live the shit out of that thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Spencer, <laughs> it was great talking to you. Uh, the book, how I'm spending my afterlife coming out September 7th. I am right. really, I'm excited to pick it up. I'm excited to read it and congratulations. Cause that's a big fucking deal. Getting your first book's a big deal. Thank you so much. And I really hope you dig it. I will. I'm sure I will. I love, I love weird shit and just reading this. I'm like, no, this sounds like, this sounds like some kind of weird fiction shit that I enjoy. It's very, it's very Florida centric. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us that follow Fark in Florida, man, that makes me even happier to hear that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, buddy, you have a good day and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. Well, that was Spencer Flurry, whose book, How I'm Spending My Afterlife, comes out in September. And uh, I hope he gets to do stuff, even though it may have to be outside. Um, because if you've listened to the program, you've heard me say, like, one of the most important things to do when you finish a project, uh, particularly your first project, is to have some cathartic moment where you can do this in front of audiences or people, even if it's five people. Being able to do something, it sort of just ends the project for you. So I hope he gets to do that. Um, and it's always fun to catch up about San Francisco.
even though I'm glad I don't live there anymore. Uh, before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. If you like what you heard today, do us those two favors. Tell your friends about us, please, please. And uh, leave us a review. Apple Podcasts, over at the Facebook page, the Downtown Writers Jam, or through the website, thewritersjam.com. While you're at it, don't forget to check out all of the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including our flab, flagship, 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 Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly MacLear. Don't forget the video podcast out every Monday and Friday, assuming I don't have like mental health um, days where I can't really do anything. Uh, you can find those on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can also find them at the Writer's Jam or you can get a, the audio wherever you listen to podcasts. And to do that, what you need to do is subscribe to the Downtown Writer's Jam podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I said podcast like 400 times, just so you know, this is actually a podcast. Uh, the Jam comes out every Wednesday. So when you're subscribed, you'll be getting all of the audio feeds as soon as they come out. You'll never miss anything that we do. Remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.